Grace and peace to you in Jesus Christ, our Savior. A knowledge of biblical culture often gives us some insight into the, some of the events in the life of our Savior. A good example takes place right after Jesus called Matthew the tax collector to be one of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 9, we read that after that, he went to Matthew's house, and here's how Matthew 9 describes what happens next. Jesus reclined at the table, that is, he ate a meal. Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining, that is, eating, with Jesus and his disciples. Now, what would be your take on that event from the eyes of our American culture? I would suggest it's perhaps something like this. Jesus and his disciples ate with a group of guys in a nice social event over the equivalent of Bible pizza. Don't think American culture. Think biblical culture. Where, if you wanted to communicate to someone, you are welcome in my presence. I accept you. In fact, I consider us unified together. How would you communicate that? You would sit down at the same table with them and eat a meal. So think what Jesus was communicating here. His enemies picked up on it. Read on in Matthew 9, and they said, What is your teacher doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? They knew exactly what he meant, and it was this, that when Jesus wants to show redeeming love to sinners, he does it through his presence with them in a meal. There's another example of this concept of biblical culture in our first reading from Exodus chapter 24. The scene is Mount Sinai. God has come down onto Mount Sinai, and we read toward the end of that lesson, Moses and 70 elders went up Mount Sinai, and there were those last four words, they ate and drank. Don't miss the significance. In biblical culture, those four words are huge. God arranges a meal between where the holy God and sinful Israel eat together. You see what God has done? He has communicated His saving love by His presence at a meal. And that this happened at Mount Sinai is, makes it extra significant. Because back up five chapters, and it's in Exodus chapter 19 where we read, God came down on Mount Sinai, and along with that gave this strict order. Do not climb the mountain. 
do not even touch the mountain. If you do, you will be put to death. Top that speech with the visual effects. Mount Sinai is shaking. There's a dense cloud. There's fire and there's smoke. And this is not material for a Hallmark movie. This is the wrath of God on display over human sin. This was and still is a teaching moment. Sinners, you have no place in the presence of a holy God. And everyone at the foot of Mount Sinai started trembling, and rightly so. What's your tremble factor? What's the tremble factor of sinners in the presence of a holy God? I fear sometimes that trembling has been replaced with a shrug of the shoulders. I fear sometimes that when Isaiah was in the same boat and he said, Woe is me! has been replaced with, Oh well, everybody does it. It's good for us to go to the foot of Mount Sinai. This is not a warm glow. This is what the Bible calls a consuming fire. God is not the man upstairs. God is incredibly and utterly holy, and we are not. And that causes... I pray, the tremble factor. But from Exodus 19, let's go back again to Exodus 24. Something extraordinary has happened in between those chapters. Because don't touch the mountain has become welcome up the mountain. And trembling before God has turned into a meal with God. Can I get a vote for this Bible story being the most clear exposition of law and gospel in the whole Bible? Can we have a better picture of what the grace of God does for sinful people? from abject trembling to intimate fellowship. How did that happen? What happened in between Exodus 19 and Exodus 24? In one word, blood. Moses built an altar at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the trembling troops were standing around him. Then he had some young men gather some oxen. 
laid them on the altar, stabbed them with a knife, and collected all the blood. And he put half it against the altar, and the other half he collected in basins and threw it on the congregation. And I bet he had enough blood for the Lutherans in the back row. And I know this sounds like a strange procedure. In fact, I think it probably sounds like a very disgusting procedure. How would you like to be covered with oxen blood? What's going on here? Blood thrown on the altar is a sign that a life has been taken and offered as a sacrifice for sin to the holy God. And then the same blood of that sacrifice is thrown on the people. And what does that signify? That these two parties, a holy God and a sinful Israel, are now one. Moses said, this is the blood of the covenant. The covenant by which the people said, we will obey you, Lord. And the covenant by which the Lord said, I will be your steadfast God of love and forgiveness. Do you see the power of blood? Trembling sinners before a holy God are forgiven sinners before a gracious God. And as the visible evidence of this new status, the people watched as their representatives, Moses and the 70 elders, touched the mountain. They went up the mountain, things God had told them, don't do it. And what did our text say? God did not raise His hand against them. What a picture. Sinners are welcomed in the presence of a holy God by blood. And then those last four words, and they ate and drank. When God wants to show His welcome and His acceptance and His oneness with people, He does it by His presence at a meal. Now please notice I use the present tense. Showing saving love to sinners is not just a biblical culture thing. It's still very much alive and well by Jesus' own design. It's just been a change in venue. Instead of sinful people walking up a mountain, sinful people are walking down an aisle. We walk down this aisle because Jesus has invited us to a meal with Himself as the host. And you know why that happens? Blood. My dear fellow sinners, the utter holiness of God and the terrible wrath of God over sin were not only present on Mount Sinai, they were present on a hill called Golgotha. 
where God Himself built an altar in the shape of a cross. And in that altar, He laid His sacrifice, His only beloved Son. And that Son who did what Israel couldn't do, obeyed perfectly all that the Holy God required. And in return, His Father said, Okay, son, now you get the full brunt of my wrath, which was seen on Mount Sinai and which was delivered on Golgotha. And there was blood, holy, innocent blood. What the blood of oxen could never do, what the blood of oxen pointed to, the blood of Jesus Christ accomplished. My fellow sinners, the holy blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a sufficient sacrifice for all of your sins. The ones that trouble your conscience, the ones that raise your tremble factor, they're paid for. They're forgiven. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew that you and I would need a continual assurance and reminder of that. So you know what He did? He put it in a meal. That's how God shows His forgiving love to sinners in a meal. Trembling sinners... <laughs> This is our version of an altar call. Jesus welcomes you to the altar. Come down this aisle. Come to this altar and receive what God has for you. Blood. Blood that is literally going to touch your lips. Yes, I know that's mysterious. And I know that's miraculous. But by Jesus' own words in Luke 22, this is my blood of the new covenant. And it is poured out for you. So, think biblically. There was grace at Mount Sinai. There was grace in Matthew's house. And there is grace here in God's house in a meal. I like it when we call it a feast. It's so rich in the gifts that God has to bring. And keep on coming to that feast until the last day. And then what? Biblical culture goes on for all eternity in the feast of victory for our God, in the feast of victory with our God. These words in Revelation are for you. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In eternity, we will eat and drink. We will eat and drink with each other and with our Savior for all eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God that passes all of our human understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.